Well, hello, CMYK community, and welcome. Uh, this is the CMYK Talk podcast, and my name is Matt. And whether you are a part of this community or just dipping your toes in the water, we're so excited and honored that you would choose to spend these next few moments listening in and hopefully being a part of some conversations and a life that uh, is moving some things forward in beauty. We believe that there's a more beautiful way for us to interact with the world, people, and stuff, ourselves, and that these kinds of things matter for us to talk about, have conversations, and wrestle with together. So that's what today is about as usual. And um, today what we're doing is we're actually wrapping up this series of talks that we've been in for a while entitled The Bible and Sexuality, wrestling with these two concepts that uh, are kind of can be hot button topics for many people and how they they interact, our sexuality and what the Bible has to say. And so I'm uh, really excited to be able to kind of land the plane today uh, as a series and talk about some things. But before we do, I quickly want to mention that coming up on August 18th, it's a Saturday, uh, we're going to be hosting a CMYK picnic, and that is everything that the title <laughs> says that it is. Uh, we're just having a picnic in the park. And and the idea is this, that we've got so many people uh, that are a part of this thing known as CMYK, and they'll come to Sunday morning gatherings or Sunday evening gatherings or uh, listen to the podcast, but it's rare that we are all in the same room at the same time because we're a pretty fluid, active uh, community of people. So we thought, well, let's just put a date on the calendar and invite people to show up to a park and have a really great picnic. So there's no talk or anything like that. It's just uh, hanging out and having fun and connecting with some really, really great people. So um, on August, Saturday, August 18th, uh, we're going to be meeting at Pioneer Park, uh, right in between where the kiddie pool is and the playground. And so you can bring kids, obviously, and they can play in the kiddie pool or they can play on the playground or just have fun in the park. And we as adults can sit around, and enjoy a meal and have a good time as well. All we're asking that you do is that you'd bring food for yourself, whatever that is, food for your family or friends, the people that are with you. And if you wanted to bring a dish that you uh, wanted to share, you totally could. You don't have to, but we as CMYK will provide drinks and utensils and plates, and it should be a really good time. So I hope that's something that could make it on your calendar, uh, just an opportunity for some of us to connect as a community Saturday, August 18th at 11.30 a.m. Okay, so jumping into it today... As you probably know, if you've been listening into this series at all up to this point, you have heard me make this statement that I've said almost every week, and um, that the whole point of this series has been wrestling through this idea, that I believe the scriptures invite us to fully affirm and embrace our LGBTQ brothers and sisters, and that this is a healthy and important approach to our spirituality and life. And so for the last few weeks, we've been unpacking this uh, idea, unpacking this statement, and why I think that this is something that is important for our spirituality and life, why I believe it's something that the scriptures would invite us into. But as you can understand, when it, with a statement like that, one of the things that can come out of that is to say that you believe that the Bible uh, creates open space to embrace everyone, wherever they are in their sexuality, that it's an invitation for all of us uh, to be embraced wherever we are, that this can be a challenge for some. Because if you're saying that this is uh, kind of open to everyone, are we just communicating and saying that it's just a free-for-all? And it doesn't really matter how you live or how you go about your sexuality because it's just, it's open. Just go for it. Whatever you think, 
whatever feels good in the moment, just live that way. And that the scriptures or me, Matt Blakesley, or we as a community would would not kind of hold true to some things that we think are good, true, and beautiful for how we live out our sexuality. Is that the case? And what I want to do today is to try and communicate that No, I do believe that the scriptures have some really important and significant things for us to wrestle with in our sexuality, whatever that is and whatever our identity is within that. And so what I want to do is go through some major groupings and some scriptures to try and talk about what I believe the Bible points us towards a healthy sexuality lived out looks like. And before we do that, though, I just have a couple quick disclaimers, because as you can understand, this topic of sexuality can be a sensitive topic. So, a couple disclaimers. First and foremost, this is not an exhaustive list, me going through and talking about scriptures that point towards healthy sexuality. Uh, It is not every scripture (laughs) that references sexuality or sex or sexual immorality, these kinds of things. That would be a much longer podcast than any of you really want to sit and listen through. So that's not what this is. The second disclaimer that I would make would make is while broad, while these concepts and ideas are broad, and I think they're important pillars for all of us to wrestle through our own sexuality, I believe and understand that everything might not apply to everyone. There are exceptions uh, with people. That's just a part of life, no matter what it is, particularly within sexuality. So if your goal is to find somebody that you say, well, that doesn't apply to this person because of their unique situation and scenario, I understand that. There are exceptions, but my goal with this is to try and find uh, as much common ground, big pillars, and a foundation that we can find for what healthy sexuality lived out looks like. So that's what we're doing today. So to jump into it, I've got four things that I want to talk about. And the first thing is this, that I believe the scriptures invite us to see that healthy sexuality lived out is one where intimacy matters. Intimacy matters. There's this uh, introduction story that's found in the scriptures. It's the book of Genesis. And how we see the book of Genesis start out is with this creation story, God speaking into creation. And In that speaking, we see the world created out of joy and love, creativity, these kinds of things. And what we see is God creates, and at the end of every day that God creates, you've probably heard the story, he looks at his creation and he says, it is good. And everything that God has done up to this point is good. Everything in the story up to this point is good. And one of the things that God creates is the man, or Adam, as some of us call him. And what we find is in Genesis chapter 2, there's this moment, this interaction between God and Adam. Genesis 2 verse 15, it says, The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You shall surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Then the Lord God said, It is not good. Now, if you have your thinking cap on, this phrase and statement of God saying, it is not good, should be something that causes our ears to perk up, should be something that causes us to go, wait, what's going on here? Because again, up to this point in the story in Genesis, everything has been good. Everything has been in just the right place. And all of a sudden, here in the story, something is not good. 
And we should go, oh no, what is this thing that's not good? Because this is such a rare thing for this story. So what is this big deal that all of a sudden God would change his tune and begin to say that something is not good? What is he observing? And it's this, that it is not good that the man should be alone. I, God says, will make a helper fit for him. I find this really fascinating that here within the story, what we find is that the man had a job. He had a purpose that that God had put him in the garden to work it and keep it. So this thing that sometimes we can think is the big not good element in our life is a job or purpose, and we need to find that. I understand that. That can be a thing. I also find it interesting that within this story, the man has full freedom, full reign. He could go throughout the garden, kind of live however he wanted to live. There was just one rule. Don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Just don't do that and you're good. So again, sometimes this tension that we feel that something is not good, we can feel like, man, if I just had more freedom or I was able to go and live the way that I wanted to go and live. But Adam isn't in that place. He's got a purpose. He's got a job. He's got freedom. So it's so fascinating to me that in the midst of having those things, the thing that God points at and says, actually, the thing that's not good in the man's life, the thing that derails this story is connection, a lack of connection. That the man was an island. He was doing life alone. And for God, this was not okay. So as many of us know, the story goes... God puts the man to sleep, takes a rib from the man, forms a woman out of the man, and then there's this interaction where the man meets the woman. And what we find in Genesis 2 is this, that when the man sees Eve, the woman, he says, this at last. In other words, there's something behind this language that there's this breathing out of, oh, finally, this is the, the not good part of my life, finally being found to be good at last. This is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. And therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Now, this is a story, this is a moment in scripture that we've honestly talked a lot about within the history of the CMYK community. And we're going to continue to talk about it and unpack it because I think it's huge. But this this transition of things not being good in creation, not being good in the man's life, to all of a sudden being good, it revolved around this moment where the man met and engaged the woman. And what we see the outcome of that is that the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. In other words, there was not only just connection, but there was this intimacy found. They could be fully naked, fully vulnerable, fully honest with each other, and in that feel no shame for who they really are and who they really were. There's something to that, that I think many of us understand and know what it's like to live life where we spend so much of our energy trying to hide and pretend, trying to suck it in or, sh- or show ourselves to be somebody that maybe we know that we're not, but we are afraid to show our true colors. We are afraid to show who we really are and what we really think and to really go there because we know if I go there, I'm going to experience shame and potentially I will not be accepted, loved, or embraced. And here is this moment in Genesis, this transition from things not being good to being good for the man. And it's this intimacy that's found. Here I really am. And in the midst of being fully vulnerable and honest, I am accepted. I am embraced and loved. 
There's something to that. But what I find fascinating when it comes to this topic of sexuality is that there is this um, moment where they say that the man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh. In other words, there is this sexual, inner, physical interaction connected to it. I think that's important to note that here we have intimacy connected with our sexuality. I think many of us know that we live in a world and in a culture where our sexuality does not have to be connected with intimacy. In other words, sexuality can just be physical, it can just be biological, it can just be genetics, and we just go down that path for our sexuality. I believe that there's something healthy that's pointed to within the scriptures that says it is an importantly, it is important, beautiful, and good work to connect our sexuality to intimacy. In other words, the choices and the commitments that we make and how we live out our sexuality on this earth, whatever that sexual uh, identity is, that we would work to connect that with intimacy as well. In other words, that relationship, you would have this kind of vulnerability and embrace. That's what's good and beautiful. Now, obviously, intimacy doesn't, and I don't think shouldn't, always be connected to our sexuality. In other words, there should be friends and close relationships, brothers, sisters, people that we can be vulnerable with and still experience love and embrace, yes. But I do believe that there's something profound and good when we are willing to see these two things connected. So for my life personally, I have my relationship with my wife, Kate, And this relationship is a work for me, not only to live out my sexuality in my commitment and connection with her on that level, but to also work to be intimate with her in the way that I'm choosing to show myself. Here's what I'm thinking. Here's what I'm feeling. Here's who I really am. And to work to feel no shame for that, knowing that this woman is going to continue to embrace me no matter what. This is what's good and beautiful. It's our sexuality connected with intimacy, but it's work and we've got to make that decision to keep those two connected because easily they are not. So I believe the scriptures invite us to live our sexuality out in a healthy way this way. Secondly, I would see that they invite us to see that the scriptures invite us to see that there's no silver bullet. There's this belief that probably all of us, whoever you are, hold on to and have. It's a belief that we tell ourselves regularly, and we, might, we don't even realize how often we're telling ourselves this, or we don't even realize how deep the roots run for this kind of belief. But it's strong, and it's powerful, and it impacts so much of how we live our life. And this is the belief. It's that if I just had that... I'd be content. It's this idea that if I just bought that, if I just drove that kind of car, if I just lived there, if I just had this kind of house and was in this kind of relationship, if I just had this much money, whatever it is, if I just had that, in other words, the thing that we don't have, if we had that, I'd be content. Everything would be better. My life would be okay. This is a powerful and a strong belief because it's the thing that fuels our economy. It's the thing that fuels this capitalism and consumerism of our culture. Why? Because what we know and what we've seen over and over and over again throughout history and even in our own lives personally is that we do get that thing. In other words, I do buy that car. I do get that new newfangled piece of technology, whatever it is. And I've convinced myself if I just had that, everything would be better. And we find 
time and time again, after we get it, we're back in the same place. I've seen the new piece of technology. I've seen the new car. I've seen a different kind of house. I've seen a new place to live, a different kind of relationship, whatever it is. And we once again begin to convince ourselves, okay, no, 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 no. This time, if I just had that everything would be better. I'd be content. It's this bottomless pit of our lives looking for more and more and more and more and more. And so we can understand, of course, that's going to fuel consumerism. (laughs) Of course, that's going to fuel our economy. This is something we are all driven by. And I find it fascinating that our sexuality is easily lived in the same place. That we may make decisions and commitments about how we're going to live our sexual sexuality out in this world, but we find ourselves looking at other things, other relationships, other ideas, and beginning to convince ourselves, if I just had that, if I just tried that, if I just went there, if I just was in this kind of relationship, then everything would be better. We believe that there's this silver bullet that's going to fix all the longings and desires that we have for our sexuality. I find it really fascinating that within the scriptures, particularly in the New Testament, whenever this phrase of sexual immorality is used, not every time, but many times, whenever this statement of sexual immorality is brought up within a list or talking about what sexual immorality is, according to the New Testament, there are these words that are attached to it. And it's words like greed, It's sexual immorality and sensuality or sexual immorality and covetedness. In other words, it's the same kind of drive for more and more and more and more. And what the scriptures communicate to is, it says, this is a place of immorality. This is a place where you're not going to get what you want and it's not going to go well for us to live out our sexuality, always searching for more and more and more and more because it's just like buying an iPhone, there's just going to be a new one next year and we're going to just want that one even more and convince ourselves this is the time that it's going to be better and everything is going to be fixed. It's why I believe and see that the scriptures invite us to see that the silver bullet sucks. (laughs) To live our lives believing whether it's some kind of purchase that we make or moving somewhere or living out our sexuality, to think that this one decision is going to fix everything it sucks. (laughs) Because first, I believe it belittles what we have, that we've made a decision or we've made a commitment potentially within our sexuality and relationships and connection and intimacy. And for us to live in this place of always looking at somewhere else, something else and someone else, it begins to belittle and erode at the beautiful, sacred, significant thing that you currently hold and have made a commitment to, whatever or whoever that is. And so we end up objectifying or belittling them and leaving a trail of wreckage and mess behind us, always seeking for what's new, better, and different. And on top of that, as I've said, we never actually get what we want. We never actually find ourselves fully content and fully in that place of going, yep, I'm just good. I don't ever have any kind of thoughts or fantasies or ideas outside of this thing. There's something about our humanity that is always looking for more and more and more and more. And I believe the scriptures invite us to see, especially within our sexuality, this invitation to just breathe deep and go, there's no silver bullet. So I'm I'm in this relationship, or I've made this commitment. Or you're searching for a relationship, you're searching for a commitment, 
and to know that even in that decision, even in that connection and intimacy that you have, there's something in us that will always potentially be looking and experiencing and thinking, oh man, if I just had that, if I just tried that, if I could just experience these things, then everything would be better. And to just know, okay, there's no silver bullet. There's no silver bullet. But there is something beautiful here in this relationship and connection commitment that I've made. And to stay focused and centered there. Because I could, I could blow up my life and go after that thing, yes, but I'll just find myself in the same place again and again and again. We have a sexual drive to us as human beings, and for most, if not all of us, on some level, that sexual drive is going to be a part of the majority, if not all, of our lives. And so we've got to learn, I believe the scriptures invite us to deal with this and to just understand that it's a part of us. And to always be willing to go, yep, there's no silver bullet. Now, I know that when it comes to divorce, when it comes to broken relationships, there are so many reasons why a divorce or a relationship would break. And it is potentially good, healthy reasons why that relationship would break. I, I know that. And I'm not saying that every relationship that breaks or every divorce that comes is because of this issue looking for the silver bullet. But what I do know is that many times this is a reason why we begin to go down this path of breaking a relationship or divorce. And anytime this is the reason, again, there's so many reasons why, but if this is the reason, I think this is something the scriptures would say, slow down, be careful, because you're not actually going to get what you want and you're just leaving a trail of wreckage behind you. There's no silver bullet. This drive and our sexuality is just a part of our life. And so we're invited to deal in a beautiful way with it rather than just be driven by it any which way, leaving this trail of brokenness. The third thing that I would say the scriptures invite us to see for healthy sexuality lived out is that it's best when it's not about you. Now, don't worry, I'm not going to go into a lot of details. But I think it's important to note and to remember that sex and our sexuality is, can be, and should be in some ways a source of pleasure. That's a good thing. If it's done right and appropriately, sex should be a pleasurable thing. So there is this part of our sexuality that is pleasurable for us personally. Yes, that's a good and okay thing. But one of the things that we find within the scriptures, in fact, I would say one of the most dominant messages within all of the scriptures, particularly within the life of Christ, is this message and this invitation to no longer make our lives about ourselves, but to turn and make our lives about the other. And that this invitation is found on every level, even our sexuality, that the way that we choose to live out our sexuality is found in not just seeking our pleasure and making it about us, but choosing to see the other. You have these moments, like in the book of Romans, where uh, Paul is walking through what this new invitation of Christ looks like. And he says this, he says, "'Owe no one anything except to love each other, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law.'" In other words, 
And there's this debt of love, this opportunity and invitation for every interaction we have to see that I'm invited to love you. This is the work that I now do, not to try and figure out how I love me and get what I want, but for me to give my life as a sacrifice to you, a loving act. He then goes on a couple verses later to talk about how this can get backwards and when it looks inappropriate or wrong for us to live in relationship. He says, let us not walk, let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, not these things that are just me-centric in so many ways. But he says, put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Now, is Paul saying there that sex shouldn't be pleasurable? Our sexuality lived out shouldn't be pleasurable? No. What he's doing and he's, is he's pointing back to that statement that the work that we have, the invitation that we have as followers of Christ are to be people that see even our physical work in this world and our physical desires and pleasure to be something that would even be focused on the other that there's something powerful and beautiful in that. It's why we would choose to pick up these things of Christ and live them out in the world, and that that would be found even in our sexuality. I think it's significant to find that Ephesians, the writer of this letter, it's New Testament letter, has some of the kind of more complex language about what a marriage relationship, a committed relationship would look like. And he has some of the strongest language for husbands and that this, to understand that this is a culture and a time in our history when men or husbands were in the dominant power seat of a relationship, that that was their role as the man and and to be powerful and dominant in the house. And this is what the writer says this relationship and dynamic should look like between a man and his wife. He says, husbands, Love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blameless. Blameless. Blemish. Nailed it. (laughs) In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one who has ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother, hold fast to his wife, and the two become one flesh. This mystery is profound. And I am saying that it refers to Christ in the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. This is incredibly strong imagery and language communicating to the male dominant power seat to say your role in work in living out your sexuality in this committed relationship is to be one that serves. And not just serves, but literally gives your life away to this other person. That we believe that that's beautiful and powerful for us to live within this world. There's a profound mystery present there when we choose to make this decision about how we live out our sexuality. And one of the things that's been interesting for me in the midst of kind of going down this path and having conversations around the concept of being an open and affirming individual for someone, whatever their sexual identity or sexuality is, 
is that many times uh, I've heard this kind of response that someone that is living outside of a heterosexual relationship, someone that it was in with in that LGBTQ plus community, that all they care about is their own pleasure, their own lusts, and their own desires. And that's one of the reasons it's sinful and broken is because it's just very them-centered. And I just, I couldn't disagree more. Because the more that I interact with people within the LGBTQ plus community, I believe that the invitation is the same for them as it is for me as a heterosexual male. That we are all invited into the same kind of Christ-centered relationship where we work to give our lives away to this other person. And I believe that to be true for so many people I know within the LGBTQ community that their desire is the same as mine, to live out this profound mystery in this way. We know and we've seen, we live in a current state in our culture where relationships that become centered and driven just for our pleasure and we absolutely could care less about the partner or care less about that other person and what they think and what they feel, we live in a culture that is reaping the absolute horror of seeing what happens when person after person after person just leaves this trail of wreckage because all they've been concerned about is themselves and their own pleasure compared to entering into a relationship, a Christ-centered relationship where you are concerned and giving yourself away for that other person. There's something beautiful there. That's what I believe the scriptures invite us into when it comes to our sexuality lived out in a healthy way. And last, but not least, I would believe scriptures invite us to see that our sexuality, it's deep and it's sacred. There's this uh, text that's found in 1 Corinthians where the writer Paul is really, it's some of the kind of most language that we have in the New Testament when it comes to the concepts of sex and sexual immorality and marriage and dynamics, these kinds of things. And he has this really interesting paragraph talking about the depth and significance of how we choose to live out our sexualities with our bodies. This is 1 Corinthians chapter 6, and it says this, Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two will become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. You were bought with a price. So glorify God with your body. There's something to this for me It's an invitation to see the depth and sacredness of my body and how I choose to interact and live in this world and how I choose to live out my sexuality with my body, that it matters. And I think many of us have seen and even felt the potential for our sexuality and our body to just be a grouping of organs and cells And for it to just be emotions or physicality, it really doesn't matter. No big deal. And just kind of leave it on the surface level. You can make that choice for how you're going to live out your sexuality. Yes, that's a choice you have. But for me, I believe that the scriptures invite us to see that there's something deep and profound about our bodies, sacred, and that we would care 
deeply about how we choose to live and interact in this world. I remember a few months ago, I drove up to Missoula for a concert. Um, one of my favorite bands and musicians, Bonnie Vare, was playing up there at an outdoor amphitheater. And, and so I had never seen him live before and was just so excited to go and showed up at the amphitheater with a friend that I met up with for the concert. And it just began pouring rain, downpouring rain. And we even thought, like, do we go? Do we not go? But we made the trip. We're doing this. So we go to the concert. And there's thousands of people there. And as you can understand, there are so many reasons why people show up for concerts. For some people, it's because they just love that band and they want to listen and sing along with the band and say, and you know, I saw them and take pictures and video, whatever it is. For some people, it's because it's a party. It's just the place to be. Others, it's this opportunity uh, to potentially just drink and have a good time on that level. Some people, it's just a dance opportunity to just go crazy, whatever it is. As you can understand, there's so many different reasons. For me as a musician, I love going to concerts because it's an opportunity to watch a live performance of someone you know, doing their craft that I appreciate and can experience on that level. I just love it. I love picking it apart and seeing what they're doing and why they're doing it that way. It's, I just love it so much. So, so many different reasons why you go to a concert, right? Well, for me... When we got to this concert, we found our seats, and the show starts, and the band begins to play, and something inside of me, the minute the first song started, something inside of me broke, and I began to weep. And I started asking this question, what is this? Like, why, why am I weeping like this? And I remembered that the album that they were touring at that moment was an album that had come out a couple years ago, uh, the same week that I was living with my older brother who died of cancer a few months ago. And when this album came out, I listened to it a lot while I was spending time with Ben. And for this song to be playing, all of a sudden, all of these emotions and imagery and smells, like that entire experience just came rushing back. And I found myself in the moment beginning to process some grief and thought. And in many ways, I was not okay. <laughs> but I was also really, really grateful that it was downpouring rain at the time because I was just weeping and weeping and weeping and no one had any clue what was going on because we were all soaking wet. But I had this choice in that moment. Okay, something's going on here. Something's going on in my heart, in my soul. And I can either choose to lean into this and explore where this goes and believe that there's depth here to be discovered and mined. Or I can just shut this down because I'm a Blakesley and we're pretty good at just shutting down our emotions when we don't want to go there. And I can just experience it for the party or the good time or the art, whatever it is. But I decided in that moment, I'm, I'm going to lean into these tears. I'm going to lean into the depth here. And, and, and so for the next two hours, I just bawled and just experienced some incredibly deep, uh, sometimes painful, sometimes joy-filled emotion. But I just kept leaning into it. Concert got done, and I, I ran into some people that I knew, and having conversations, they were asking, man, how, how was the concert for you? Did you enjoy it? And I would say to them, that was one of the most deep, spiritual, and profound experiences of my entire life. And they would just look back at me with these blank stares of like, did we go to the same concert? Like, it was Bonnie Bear, right? Like, that, it was the same, like, because they, it was not the thing that they were there for. I mean, they had a good time, and it was really, really great. But they're like, what are you talking about? Well, what is that? 
It's the same experience. It's the same thing, but an opportunity to lean into a depth, a sacredness of something and experience something completely different compared to just that surfacey, oh, we're just going to go have a good time, sing along to some songs kind of experience. Neither of them is necessarily bad, but there is something so healthy, good, and beautiful for me to lean into that depth. I believe that our sexuality, your sexuality, whatever it is, is an invitation to lean into the depth and sacredness of your body and caring for it and caring how you choose to interact in this world with it. You can make it just about physicality, yes, and biology, yes. But I believe the scriptures invite us to see, no, there's something sacred. There's a gift. There's something beautiful about who you are in your sexuality and something beautiful about the way that you would choose to go about that in the most true, good way possible, that it matters. And I think many of us have potentially experienced this depth of our sexuality and our bodies when we think back at some of our biggest hangups and hurts, some of the biggest baggage that we carry and carry for years, many times it revolves around our sexuality, and choices that we've made in relationships, choices that we've made for ourselves that we just are a little ashamed of, we're not okay with. And that, to me, that speaks to the depth of the choices that we make for how we live out our sexuality. And one of the reasons I believe that this message of Christ and the story of Christ is still so important for me and for us today is because this message of Christ is an invitation to not just see the depth of our bodies and the depth of our sexuality, but to understand in those moments and places where we're carrying baggage that we wish we weren't carrying anymore, there is grace, that we can set that down and that you and I are not defined by our past choices that we've made. That we can choose to find forgiveness for ourselves, choose to, to find forgiveness for others, and choose to set it down and choose to find the most beautiful way forward in how we live out our lives and our sexuality. We can choose to pursue this intimacy with someone else or with other people and show ourselves for who we really are and know that whatever it is, there is grace and embrace for who we really are. There's no games. There's no pretending. And so for some of us, as we close this series, what this invitation might be is to, yes, see there is a healthy and beautiful way for you to live out your sexuality. And in any ways that you're carrying brokenness, in any ways that you're carrying shame, in any ways that you're carrying unforgiveness or guilt, that you are invited in this more beautiful way forward to set that brokenness down and to know that it does not define whatever choices and wherever you're headed. That's what this is all about, that you and I get to go and live the most beautiful way forward. I believe the scriptures have some incredible invitations for how we live out our sexuality, wherever you are and whoever you are, that we would find these things that are good and true and beautiful. I love you, and I hope you know that if there's anything that we can do for you, we're here for you. I'm here for you. Please just reach out, let us know, and um, we'll be back next week. We're going to launch into a new series, shorter series, but I think it will be a good one. Talk to you soon.